What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by our title sponsor, and that is none other than Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And they make arguably the most comfortable and well-built durable packs in the fire game. But not only that, they make a ton of other load-bearing solutions. So go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check out their full line of load-bearing essentials. But while you're at it, check out the Backbone series and the Backbone series scholarship. It's pretty awesome. And it's highlighting some of the stories of you folks out there on the line and what you're experiencing out there in the line of duty. It's pretty awesome. And check this out. For those uh, men and women out there on the line that want to go above and beyond, well, you can win one of these $1,000 Backbone Series scholarships just by submitting your story. If you're selected, well, hey, it's simple as that. The grant's all yours. It's pretty awesome. And uh, I just want to highlight the fact that they are giving back uh, to the fire community immensely. And they're doing it just without taking any credit for it or really even publicizing it. They're just doing their thing. They're being silent professionals about it. I love that about them, but I definitely want to highlight their accomplishments and their dedication to the fire community. So if you guys want to win one of these uh, scholarships or check out the rest of their load bearing essentials, don't hesitate to go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check them out. The Anchor Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our premier coffee sponsor, and that is none other than Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. But they don't just stop at kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes. They make a full line of Wildland Firefighter-themed apparel and all of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. So if you're looking for uh, an AeroPress or a t-shirt or I don't know, pour over system. Well, look no further than www.hotshotbrewing.com. And while you're at it, check this out. Hotshot Brewery supports Anchor Point Podcast by slinging some of our merch. So if you want to get your hands on one of those fire themed tees or one of those uh, Band of Brothers tees, well, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check all of it out. It's awesome. The Anchor Point Podcast would also like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement. And if you guys don't know what the Ass Movement stands for, well, it's called the Anti-Surface Shitting Movement. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing more that I hate than uh, going to my favorite trail, favorite camping area, or favorite fly fishing hole, and finding a human turd that's gift-wrapped in toilet paper. It's disgusting, and it needs to stop. But... Check this out. There is a solution to this. So if you go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement, you can get all of your poo bearing propaganda needs from that website. It's awesome. They have it all. They have stickers, patches. Hell, they even have a uh, turd trowel in case you have a problem pooper on your crew. So once again, go over to www.firewild.com and check out the ass movement. And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be brought to you by the Smoky Generation, also known as the American Wildfire Experience. If you guys don't know what that is yet, well, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. It's basically a uh, digital catalog, a digital archive of sorts of uh, wildland firefighting stories from across the world dating back to the 1940s. It is pretty awesome. And in fact, today on the show, we have a recipient of one of those Smoky Generation grants. So... If you guys want your opportunity to win one of these grants, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check out the Smoky Generation. It's pretty damn awesome. Uh, Bethany, you have an awesome organization over there. Keep it up. Thank you for what you're doing.
of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Hope everybody is doing well. And uh, yeah, to all my fellow unskilled laborers out there, uh, I hope you guys are staying safe and doing the best you can with this very simple job that we do. Yeah, see what I did there? Mm, that comment really struck a nerve. But I said my piece on my video. And yeah, I'm just gonna leave it at that. But hope everybody's doing well. With that being said, uh, it is this re this episode actually is going to be recorded on the 4th of July. So all those folks out there, uh, if you got the day off, well, hope you're celebrating your freedom and parting it up. But for those folks on the line, happy 4th of July to you. Today on the show, we've got a very special guest. We've got the gentleman behind Veterans in Fire. And now if you guys don't know what Veterans in Fire is all about, well, it's an organization, a volunteer organization, I guess you can call it that uh, matches uh, people basically with a DD-214 and a resume to fire careers. It's pretty badass. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my good friend, Mr. Blake Toth with Veterans in Fire. Welcome to the Anchor Point. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got my good friend, Blake Toth. What's going on, dude? Hey, not much, man. It's good to be here. It's good to finally meet you. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been talking for a while now, uh, probably well over a year, I think. We've been, one, trying to make this work, but two, just have sort of known each other. So, I mean, I think it's good to finally get out here and and meet you be face to face is awesome oh yeah man thanks for making the trip down to reno man i appreciate it and uh yeah it's six in the morning like i was saying and thanks for making it out especially with the change of plans man yeah it was pretty sudden but you know hey we got to get it in and you know whatever works right we gotta make happen so so here we are hell yeah man and uh yeah you're going rafting today yeah i'm going rafting for the first time uh or kayaking i guess is Oh, kayaking. Yeah. Ooh. So, um, you know, I've kayaked in lakes and stuff, never, never down rapids and rivers. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Just make sure you wear a helmet, man. Yeah. Especially on the American, uh, river there. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty nutty. So tell me about yourself, dude. Uh, so I'm from Maine originally. That's where I grew up. Uh, you know, after high school, I went straight into the military I was six days after I graduated, I think. So that was, you know, pretty fast, fast to do that. Um, turned 18 in boot camp, So, you know, that was, that was a good birthday. Yeehaw. Yeah. But yeah, so pretty much, you know, I played football in high school. I always sort of knew that college wasn't necessarily the direction for me. And, uh, so I guess I, I enlisted in the Marine Corps in my junior year going into my senior year. So, you know, that was actually kind of nice because while people were rushing around, you know, doing college essays and applying different places, whatever, waiting to hear back from schools, 
you know, I already knew where I was going. Yeah. So I knew on June 17th, I'd be, you know, stepping on the yellow footprints of Paris Island. So on June 17th, that's exactly where I was six days after graduation. And you know, the rest is, is sort of history from there. Nice, man. So what was, uh, what was your MOS in the Marines? You said the Marines, right? Yeah. So my MOS is 6174, which is, uh, Huey crew chief. Okay. Basically, um, I went in with an air crew contract to be air crew. You could end up on a few different platforms, either C-130s, 53s, Hueys, um, or Ospreys. Don't really know what you're going to get. You don't get guaranteed an airframe, but everybody always wants Hueys. Um, you know, that is, that's light attack. That's being a door gunner. That's doing all the high speed stuff. So when I went down to Pensacola for air crew candidate school, that's where you figure out which aircraft you're going to be on. So that's when I found out I was going to be on Hueys and I was pretty stoked on that. We just like pumped. Yeah. You know, they told us that we were going to all be Osprey crew chiefs. So, you know, that's what everybody did not want. And especially we, with the history behind that aircraft, man. Yeah. We did not know until the day we got our orders to go somewhere else, like where we were going. So they came in and, you know, they told us we were all going out to California and we were all going to be Huey crew chiefs. And yeah, that was a pretty, pretty psyched room to be a part of. Nice. So you got any uh, tips for boot camp and for those people that are listening that are thinking about enlisting? Uh, you know, I would just say, you know, it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better, but you know, it's not something that you can't do. Anybody can do it. You just got to listen to what people tell you to do, move fast, be loud and, you know, go day by day, meal by meal and you'll get through it. Nice, man. So your military experience, um, what was like the biggest takeaway from your military career? Um, I think for me, the biggest takeaway, you know, would be that I guess to, to really just like have an open mind when you get ready to move on from something, you know? So I guess what I mean by that is like the military is great. Like that's a great place to go. That's a great way to start off your adult life. Um, but even having a job like mine that you could look at was a pretty cool job. You know, there still comes a point where it just becomes a job. So, you know, for me, that's sort of exactly what happened. Like I still have so much pride in that job. That's part of why I got out because of course I could have just gone and done some different job. Kind of been like a lifer. Yeah. You know, I could have moved around, done a couple of different things, which is what a lot of people do, which is eventually what the Marine Corps makes you do to make you a better, well-rounded Marine. Um, but with my job, there was just so much pride associated with it that people would rather get out than sort of go do a different job. And so, you know, I was one of those people, um, you know, to this day, I would still never, uh, go in unless it was doing that job because I just, I did love it so much. Um, but there was a, you know, at a point where, you know, you're no longer really progressing in your job and it just becomes this day after day grind. And, you know, as we know, complacency kills. So you just sort of have to ask yourself at some point, you know, am I going to just continue to, 
you know, push the inev- inevitable further down the line or, you know, am I just going to pull chocks and, and move on and start over? And so I think a lot of people get caught up in wanting to make it a career and, oh, I have to hit that 20 years. Um, you know, I got to reenlist. I got to go do more. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. And, you know, that's not true. Like your happiness isn't worth being stuck, you know, in that repetitive cycle, doing the same things over and over again, you know, and expecting different results, you know, (laughs) definition of insanity, insanity. Right. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, you know, in fire or in the military, like the job can start to feel like that, where you're just doing the same things over and over again. And you start asking yourself the question for what? Yeah. And once you start asking that question, it's really hard to realign yourself and sort of come back from that. So once I started getting to that position where I sort of checked the boxes that I mentally wanted to check when I was going into it, I just knew that it was time to sort of start to look for different avenues and different things to try. And so once I hit my, fulfilled my first contract, you know, I pulled chocks and, and got out. Just dipped out, huh? Yeah. Um, it it was a little sudden, you know, I was on the fence pretty much for the entire six months leading up to getting out. But, you know, I just saw that my career sort of in that job wasn't going to go much further. And I had sort of, I guess, left the impact that I wanted to leave by training people behind me who, you know, went on to surpass anything that I ever did, which really is the greatest thing I think you can ask for is that you had knowledge and then you pass that on. And then the people that you pass that knowledge onto, they go on to do the job better than you. Um, and so that's sort of what happened in my case. And, you know, that's something that I take a lot of pride in that, you know, those individuals that I was able to train and, and work together and work with, you know, that they, they're better than me at my job. And that's pretty awesome to see, you know, I don't look back on that as saying like, Oh, like that's not fair. They got to do more than me or, you know, they had these qualifications or that experience. I'm happy for them. And I think that's a phenomenal thing to walk away from knowing you left something better than how you found it. Oh yeah, man. Building that foundation for anything, whether it be fire or military or police or whatever you do, man, it's important to build that foundation and have a good, strong base and leave it better for the next generation of people that are coming through, man. Because if they don't have that quality training, well, how the hell are they going to improve at all, man? How are they going to prove on the program? How are they going to prove on the traditions that were already laid before them? Yeah, totally. And I think in a big organizational thing like the military or fire, you know, sometimes that that can be hard to do is leave your impact or, or feel fulfilled in that sense. But I think if you look at something not big picture, like you may not, you know, change the entire organization. But if you change just those you're directly associated with or inspire those you're directly associated with on a day-to-day basis over a period of a season, a year, a career, whether that's one year, two years, five years, whatever it is, that's an impact that's worth noting. And that's something that is really powerful to be able to say that you did and be comfortable with just making an impact on that one person, not necessarily the entire organization. Oh yeah. And that's the thing too, is like when I was in Academy, um, I had like no idea the influence that I had on, on my cadre or not my cadre, my, uh, my students, 
when I was going through there. And like to this day, I don't know if it's the same for like your military experience, like your military bros, but they still call me and be like, Hey dude, you know what? This happened and I learned a lot of shit from you. And I just want to say thank you. Like every, like on a, a weekly basis probably. And dude, I, I, I find so much like fulfillment out of that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I you know, I talked to some of my, you know, Marine bros last night, you know, we talk definitely on a regular basis as you know, the years go on, I think you talk a little bit less and less, but you know, one of the really cool things about those relationships is that, you know, it could be one day or one year that's gone by. And as soon as you, you know, hit that other person up or they hit you up, it's like, you know, things pick up right where they left off. Oh yeah. So that's always awesome. I guess moral of the story is though, you never know who's watching you and you never know who you're going to inspire. And you could be doing something that you totally think is lame and someone will be like, Oh, fucking hey, maybe I should do that or something like that, you know? Yeah. You know, like my, my buddy was just telling me, you know, that I was talking to you yesterday that, you know, I was like, Oh, I was just talking about you to, you know, one of my buddies in fire. And he was like, Oh dude, like I was just talking, you know, talking about you. And it's like, you know, I got out four or five years ago now. So like, that's just funny that you can have that sort of impact on people that four or five years after you're gone, they're still sort of carrying on, you know, some of the things, some of those little, you know, nuggets of knowledge that you left them. Yeah. No, it's very true, man. So what about your transition out of the military? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah. So for me, um, and I think for everybody, that was something I thought I was very prepared for. You know, I had a plan A, I had a plan B and, you know, I definitely was getting out pretty sure that I knew what I wanted to do. Um, which at first was, uh, California highway patrol. That mm -hmm. was like sort of what I first had my eyes set on. Um, but then, you know, I'd already spent the last couple of years out in California and I wanted to get back to Maine. So then I was like, all right, well, I'll get out of California. I'll go back to Maine and, you know, I'll perform, uh, pursue a law enforcement career there. And I had a lot of, you know, buddies that I grew up with that were working for the local department. I knew that would be, you know, a good place to start. So then my eyes sort of got set on that. Um, and then when I first got out now with the intentions of going back to Maine, I was like, well, I'm going to drive cross country. That's a really cool opportunity that a lot of people don't get. So drive straight across the country. Yeah. So I decided that I didn't want to just drive straight across that. I was just going to go from San Diego up to Seattle, over to Montana, back down to you know, Arizona and New Mexico, then back up to the Dakotas. And I just sort of went north to south, north to south, all the way across the country. Kind of just zigzagged yourself across the country. Yeah. And I was doing it in oh, a, yeah. I had a 05 Ford Focus. I ripped <laughs> all the, I ripped all the seats out. All that was there was a driver's seat and a little stick shift. Um, so from the passenger seat all the way back to the trunk, like that's where I slept and, you know, just roughed it for, you know, it took about three months. Yeah. And that was really cool. And a really eye-opening experience. And yeah, you know, I think for me, uh, you know, that sort of actually threw a wrench in my plans because I did that and I was like, wow, like I actually don't need to have all of these things that I've acquired over the years to be happy. Like I yeah. was so happy just like being nomadic and going someplace new all the time and meeting all these different people. Um, so, you know, as my story sort of progresses, it's funny how much that trip actually impacted, you know, my life in the long run, because it's essentially now 
what I do full time. Yeah. Um, but it all really just started with just sort of an idea of, you know, let me just take a few months off in between the military and getting back to the civilian life and, you know, see the rest of the country that I haven't seen. Um, so basically, you know, when I started the trip, it was funny because I, you know, I, I feel like when you do things and you put yourself out there for these new experiences, and I think travel is a really good experience to put yourself out there and doing, um, you don't, I don't think you go and do things seeking to necessarily learn a lesson or have some, you know, life-changing moment. I think you just have to continue to do things, continue to put yourself out there, continue to experience life. And then when you reflect on those experiences, that's when you can sort of look back and identify these moments that were, you know, life-changing or inspiring in some way. And so for me, that actually came on like the the fifth or sixth day of my trip um, where I was in a place called Point Reyes, California. Oh yeah. Which I know where is, Point Reyes is. Yeah. So it's like this lighthouse, you know, north of San Francisco, way out there on the coast. Um, and so I was out there and I went down, checked out the lighthouse, got back to my Ford Focus. I was like cooking up some breakfast out of the trunk and this tour bus pulled up of all these retired people. And, you know, the vast majority of them, they couldn't go make the walk to go to the lighthouse because they were just sort of too old to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I was sitting there and, and a couple of them started to kind of come around me and talk to me and ask me what I was doing. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm just traveling the country, you know, trying to see everything, you know, whatever. And they're like, oh, you know, I wish, you know, I wish I could, I could do that or whatever. And, you know, I was like, oh, well, did you go like check out the lighthouse? And like, oh, no, like we can't, we can't go like walk down the stairs to it or whatever. So we're just going to hang out here. And, you know, that was just like a little thing. but you know, as time went on and I sort of reflected on that trip, I was like, man, like that's, that's kind of sad that these people worked their entire lives. And then now they have the time and the money to go travel and see all these things, but they can't do them, you know? So for me, that was a very eye opening experience where I was like, you know, I want to continue to do these things. Even if, if it puts me in an uncomfortable position now, maybe financially, or maybe you know, I don't have like that house at 27 years old or that family necessarily, you know, it's like, well, what I am gathering is these experiences that I can carry with me the rest of my life. And, you know, those have their own weight and their own value that I think is, is very, very valuable for just helping you develop and grow into a person that, you know, you never would have had the opportunity to, if you didn't put yourself out there you know, at a young age. And if when you're young and you have time to experience stuff and you can mess up and make mistakes, you know, what better time to do it? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. That's, that's another thing too, is we get so caught up in like paying the bills and, you know, I guess you could say living life that we don't actually stop to take the time to actually live. That's the thing, man. It's doing something like <clears throat> traveling across the country. Like you did, man, you, you found a lot of purpose out of that. And, uh, yeah. A lot of people don't have that opportunity to do that. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that was just sort of like the beginning of where I started to just sort of live my life with that mindset of not just travel, but really if, of any experience where, you know, I get that gut feeling of, you know, I don't know about this, 
you know, and you know, this is going to be hard. This is going to be uncomfortable. But I think the more times you get that feeling and you decide, well, you know, I can always stop doing it. I can always go back to what's comfortable, but you just continue to take it one day at a time. You know, you'd be surprised where you end up, you know, three months later, six months later, one year later, you know, I mean, that that's why I'm sitting here right now is because of just continuing to do, do things like that. Yeah. And that's the thing, man, these little inconveniences of life and these little challenges and getting outside of your comfort zone ultimately make you grow as a human. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, I think that you can come back and, and, you know, circle that all around to, to just fire and, and transitioning out of the military and, and getting into a job like fire or somebody who just is fired to begin with. You know, there's, there's tons of uncomfortable moments in, in all of those things, but you know, through those experiences, you know, you just grow so tight with the people that you're surrounded with and, you know, learn so much about, about yourself and what you're capable of and, you know, what makes you happy, what doesn't make you happy. And you continue to just learn those things about yourself. And, you know, maybe that's a career in fire. Maybe that's a career in the military. Maybe it's something completely different. You know, maybe it's a podcast. <laughs> you know, maybe it's starting a foundation, you know, maybe it's whatever, you know, whatever it ends up being. Um, you know, I think as long as you just keep an open mind to the experiences that you have and, you know, you work on just developing, you know, those good habits and continuing to work and improve your, your life and your mentality, then, you know, what your life looks like, you know, through your eyes at one moment, you know, might be completely different, you know, three months, six months down the road. But I think you just got to keep an open mind to where your life's going because you don't want to limit yourself to, you know, any opportunity. Oh, absolutely, man. That, and, you know, I guess it'd better prepare you like being open to those horizons, those different horizons. I guess that makes you better prepared to handle life's inconveniences as well. So there's that also. Yeah. Get outside of your comfort zone, man. But after this whole trip across the country, after your military experience, what inspired you to get into fire? Like, how'd you even come about it? Yeah. So, um, I guess just sort of continuing on, you know, so I got back to, got back to Maine and obviously, you know, I'm not a law enforcement officer, so that didn't work out. Um, you know, and that was fine. That was nothing negative. Um, really just what happened was, you know, they ended up hiring somebody else you know, over, over me and, you know, whatever, that's fine. That person was more qualified than I was anyway. And, you know, they're still doing it and I don't think I would be. So, you know, they probably made the right decision there. Um, so that sort of propelled me into doing all these different things. So, you know, next I delivered golf carts all around new England. So I was just driving a truck around delivering golf carts to rich people. Um, and then, you know, I, worked as a, a shipwright, like building ships. I worked off the coast of Maine doing, uh, like maritime maintenance type stuff, working on docks and boat moorings and really just like, it was a very main job. It was kind of just anything that had to do with the coast and the ocean, um, lobster and stuff. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not lobster, but like, yeah, just like all sorts of just like maritime construction type stuff. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, that was, that was an interesting job for sure. A lot of really good memories and, you know, I could have a whole podcast on just stories from that job. Um, you know, that job actually led me to, 
living on a sailboat for a month. No shit. Yeah, which is a whole whole another good story. Yeah, I can hit real quick, but you know, basically my boss was just like, Hey, you know, my buddy's sailing from Maine to Florida, you know, do you want to join? And I was like, Yeah, sure, that sounds really cool. Like, when do we leave? And he's like, Oh, I leave tomorrow. And I was like, oh, All right, cool. Like <laughs> I'm I'm living in 15 minutes. Grab your shit, let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I was like, All right, yeah, I mean, like I'm down. Um, so I ended up like hopping on this dude's boat, like never been on a sailboat before in my life. And, you know, 12 hours later, you know, I'm sailing this boat at two o'clock in the morning by myself while he sleeps, you know, <laughs> just like off the coast, you know, in New England. Um, and so we never made it to Florida. The boat ended up breaking down in the Chesapeake Bay. Oh shit. Yeah. We had to like get towed to shore and it was this whole mess. Um, I ended up bailing, uh, you know, at that point and going back to Maine, but you know, that's just like one of those experiences, you know, where like you just kind of say yes. And, you know, I learned, learned a lot from that experience as well. Um, you know, and then after that, uh, I did some cell phone tower climbing. Um, I worked as an electrician. I worked as a government contractor doing uh, aircraft maintenance on Hueys and Cobras, which is like, you know, what I flew on in the military. Kind of like A&P work. Yeah. A&P work. And then did that for a little while. Went back. That was in Maryland. Then I went back to Maine again, worked at the local airport, um, working on like private jets and stuff. Um, and then worked some other jobs in between there. I think it was somewhere between like 12 and 14 jobs in like a two year period. No shit. Just bouncing around, grabbing experience. Yeah. You know, I did some roofing, landscaping, like different construction jobs. Um, you know, I did all sorts of stuff. It was really just, you know, at the time it wasn't really about, you know, having this, like getting right into this career job. It was working all sorts of different jobs and figuring out what I liked, what I didn't like. Um, so then after about like a two year period, you know, the girl I was dating at the time was like, Hey, you know, you really want to be a you know, a police officer, you know, two years ago, like, why don't you look back into that and kind of get something more secure? And we were getting pretty serious at the time. So, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, that's not a bad idea. So let me look into that. And so I took all the tests again, you know, passed all the tests, started going through the process to be a police officer again. Um, and then I got all the interviews, uh, passed all the interviews, got a job offer. Um, and right around the same time, you know, that relationship ended. And, you know, whatever, not a big deal. And then I really had to like reflect on my decision-making when it came to re-pursuing law enforcement. Did I really want to do it? Or was that sort of a mutual decision, you know, between myself and another person? Um, which is great. You know, that's fine. That's probably what you should do in a relationship is make yeah. mutual decisions. Um, but yeah, so at that point where, you know, I no longer had anybody else to help influence my decisions and it was all on me you know, that was a really pivotal point in my life where, you know, I had this job offer to be a police officer in my hometown, like kind of thought that's what I wanted to do. And I always talk about how, when I tell this story that that was actually like one of the scariest moments of my life. Uh, you know, I was like sitting on my mom's couch, had this job offer. I was reading it over and over again. You know, I was clicking the pen. I was unclicking the pen. Just anxious. And, yeah, <laughs> just, whole decision, yeah decision. just anxious about the whole decision. And I just wasn't sure, um, you know, if I really wanted to do it. And I sort of knew once I signed on that line, 
not that you can't quit a job like that, but yeah. if you're going to take a law enforcement job, especially in some smaller town, you know, they're sort of expecting you to be there for a while. Well, yeah. It's a serious commitment, man. Yeah. And I just wasn't sure if I was ready for that, that commitment, I guess. So, um, as I was sitting there, I pulled out my laptop and I just started Googling, you know, wildland fire veterans and wildland fire sort of trying to find some opportunity. And this was in like April, May. Um, so it was sort of a little late to get into, you know, some sort of federal crew, which, you know, I didn't know at the time. I just kind of found the first experience that showed up on Google. Um, so through that, I found the veteran fire Corps um, with the Southwest conservation Corps out of Durango, Colorado. Um, it's a nice place, man. I definitely dig Southern Colorado. Yeah. So I applied for that and I got that. And once I sort of had that secured, you know, I emailed the, the police chief and I sort of just told them, you know, Hey, uh, I knew I, I know I withdrew once, uh, but here I am. I, I bet he was pissed. He was like this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to withdraw a second time and I'm going to go out to Colorado to go, you know, learn how to be a wildland firefighter. And, you know, I, I knew once I sent that email, I was pretty much committed to that decision because I'm probably not ever going to get a job there again if I wanted one. Yeah. Um, which is fine. You know, I made that decision and, you know, I haven't looked back since. Well, you made the best so, decision that you could, you know, for you, you personally. Yeah. And so that's sort of how I got into fire was through that experience. But how I really started in fire and how I knew wildland fire was even a thing, um, you know, that started in 2014 um, when I was still in the Marine Corps. And, you know, I was Huey crew chief at the time. You know, we had just done some training out in El Centro or Yuma out in the desert for a couple of weeks. And this was in May. And we were flying back from from the desert back to Camp Pendleton. and I'll never forget it because we had all of these um, 2.75 inch rockets that we never shot off. And so those were just stacked in the cabin in these boxes. <laughs> and I was sitting on top of them because there was no other room for me to sit. And you're literally riding in a helicopter on top of explosives. Yeah. So I'm riding in a <laughs> helicopter on top of explosives and I'm flying over a wildfire. So, That's comforting. Yeah. So I just like, you know, I was like, wow, this is like a pretty incredible experience. And whatever, you know, so, you know, I had my buddy, you know, he was, uh, I was like, oh, you know, take a picture of this stuff. Cause I think my phone was dead at the time. And, you know, this was, you know, iPhones weren't as good then, you know, they were still out, but you know, I don't know where that picture ever ended up, but you know, I wish I had it for sure. And then we get back to Camp Pendleton and we land, we think we're going to have a couple of days off cause we just worked for a couple of weeks straight. And that night we got a call saying, Hey, come back to the squadron, you know, all these fires had started on base as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're going to go fight fire and like, all right, cool. You know, like that's a pretty cool mission to go do. Um, nobody had actually ever done it before. Um, I flew in the UH one Y the Yankee model Huey, which is, you know, super upgraded dual engines, four blades, all sorts of avionics, you know, weapon systems. Um, and nobody had fought fire with it before. So, you know, I don't know where the Bambi buckets came from, but Bambi buckets just sort of showed up and they just like materialize out of thin air. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And so, you know, we had no idea what we were doing. We just strapped these Bambi buckets to the helicopters and we started, you know, just 
flying these water dropping missions. And, you know, I remember the, uh, the 46s, the Chinooks, um, you know, or the frogs, you know, they had, um, they had this capability for a long time and they were super dialed at it. They were, they had a lot of practice doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you still see the, the guard out there in California, always flying them, you know, and the Marine Corps did it as well. And so it was really funny because, you know, we were going in for the dip and, you know, a big difference between the military and, you know, the other federal agencies now is, you know, the pilots sort of do everything, but, you know, in the military, you always fly with two pilots and two crew chiefs. So, you know, we're doing all these water dropping missions and I'm there, like I'm an integral part of the crew. Mm -hmm. And so it was just really funny because, you know, we were coming down from these like hundred foot hovers going into the dip, just like super slow, not really knowing what we're doing, just trying to figure it out. And these 46s are just like doing laps around us on the fire. Um, you know, but a really cool thing about that experience was really just that we were the first crew to ever do it. Um, Mm -hmm. so we really laid that foundation to where, you know, I was working last year with one of my buddies who was still in, you know, doing water drops on a fire where I was now on the line, you know, on a saw. Yeah. And like, you know, we were talking back and forth and, you know, it was just funny because like we started, you know, together, you know, in the Marine Corps and he's still doing it, but now I'm on the complete other side of things, which was a really cool experience. Tables kind of turned. Yeah. Um, but so that was really my first intro to wildland fire. You know, that was my first time ever seen a fire and, you know, 12 hours after the first time I ever saw one, I was out there fighting it, um, from the sky, which was really cool. That's pretty badass, man. Yeah. And you know, one of the really cool things about the Bambi buckets that we used was they actually had a button that ran up from where it gets plugged in and I actually controlled the bucket. So the pilots would just fly and, you know, I would sort of get them on the line for the drop and then. I had a button that I would press that would open and close the bucket. So you had so, like the short route of figuring out wind drift, elevation, rotor wash, all that stuff. Yeah. So basically all the pilots would do is just wiggle the sticks and, you know, talk on the radios and, you know, fly the helicopter. That's all they really had to do. And oh, then shit. us as crew chiefs in the back, we were controlling the bucket, which was just a really, it's a really neat capability. That must've been so much fun, dude. Yeah, it was super fun. And, you know, we were working with, you know, there's a Cal Fire guy who was flying with us and sort of helping us out, telling us, you know, because, you know, honestly, like we thought, oh, yeah, like, let's just drop the water directly on the fire. Like, that's how you put a fire out, not you know, necessarily. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily. You know, you actually want to shoot for, you know, in front of the fire, you know, to wet, wet the grass and stuff in front of it, um, which was funny because. You know, I remember like one of the first drops we made, we were just like, oh yeah, we'll just drop it directly in the fire. Just but then you have that, yeah, you have that rush of oxygen that just, you know, blows the fire up. Spreads um, it everywhere. Yeah. So that was definitely a learning curve. Um, but you know, they still, you know, like I said last year, you know, I was fighting fire down in San Diego where my buddy was, was flying on, you know, making drops. So they're still doing, doing it to this day. And so from that sort of experience, they went on to you know, develop a working relationship with Cal fire and the different agencies to where now if there's fires around camp Pendleton, we're not restricted to just camp Pendleton. Like yeah. they can go fight fire anywhere around California. And then now they do every single year. So that was just a really cool thing to sort of see the beginning of it, be a part of the beginning and now see where it's gone today. Nice man. 
Yeah. So you got into fire in the military, well, unofficially in the, right. in the military, yeah. I guess you could say as a crew chief. And then you turned down your police job, which probably pissed off that police chief <laughs> quite considerably. Yeah. But then you got into wildland fire in Durango and yep. was with the conservation corps, you said. Yep. So from the Conf- conservation corps, where did you go after that? So once I had that experience with the conservation corps, um, I guess I sort of figured out then as that season was coming to an end that, well, I'm a seasonal employee now. So what do seasonal employees do that work fire? Well, they go work ski patrol. Yeah. Go ski so, bum it. Yeah. So, you know, the funny thing about that is I'm not actually much of a skier at all. So, you know, I just started applying to all these resorts, you know, around Durango and I was like, Oh, what else is a cool place? So I started applying to places around Tahoe. Um, and I got a job actually up in Truckee, you know, so just up the nice. road from here. And yes, yeah, so that was at Tahoe Donner, just at the cross country resort up there. Um, and so I went from Durango to the Truckee and started working ski patrol. Didn't know how to ski. Still don't really know how to ski. <laughs> but um, you're doing it. But, you know, that kind of goes back to, you know, just creating these opportunities for, for yourself, you know, even if they're uncomfortable. Yeah. And so for me, that was, you know, I knew that would be an uncomfortable experience. I was living, you know, in my truck at the time. And so for the entire season, you know, I lived up at 7,000 feet in the back of my truck, like working ski patrol. You know, I know there's tons of people out there in fire that have, you know, know what I'm talking about when it comes to that experience. Oh yeah. Van life, Um, man. Yeah. And that's not comfortable. Um, or doing a job that you have no idea how to do. Um, you know, but I did that job and had that experience, you know, for a reason, because I knew I would learn a lot from it. You know, I knew that would be uncomfortable for an entire season. I knew I'd learn a lot, meet a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just knew that that was sort of a good route to sort of being a seasonal employee. So, you know, I went and went and did that. Um, really enjoyed it. Definitely love Truckee, you know, love Reno. So I'm excited to, to be back here, um, for a few days. It's a nice place, man. You got, everything's within four hours, man. You got bitching awesome skiing, awesome hunting, awesome mountains. You got the coast. If you really haul ass to like San Francisco, you can be the coast in four hours. It's yeah. pretty cool, man. Yeah. So, you know, that whole experience that sort of leads, um, you know, into, you know, I guess we can go from there to USA jobs because that's sort of really the next hurdle of the story is yeah. the um, nightmare that is USA jobs. Yeah. So that was the first time, um, after, cause you know, I just applied for the conservation Corps job through like indeed, yeah. you know, and got it there. So, you know, after I had that whole experience or whatever, you know, I knew, you know, I wanted to go federal. I think it's sort of everybody's goal, wherever you start fires to sort of end up federally, um, at some point, you know, for most people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Q USA jobs. So I start, uh, you know, building this resume on USA jobs, um, applying to different places, you know, over the winter months. And, um, so come, you know, time for getting referred to jobs. I didn't really get referred to that many jobs at all. So I was sort of in a weird position of, okay, like fire season starting and you know, here in a couple months and I don't have a job. Yeah. And I did get referred to a few places, um, but I ended up not getting, getting those jobs. Um, 
which is, is whatever, you know, basically kind of what happened was I did what you shouldn't do and put all my eggs in one basket, really got committed to one crew, had my eyes set on that, went and visited them and it just didn't work out. They ended up not having spots. It's so, like one of those critical mistakes, man. You can't, you, yeah, you got to be op- open to options like you're saying, man. Yeah. So I totally, you know, kind of screwed myself on that one. Um, so then I was sitting there, you know, back at my desk working ski patrol and, you know, just seeing the the weeks go by and I'm like, you know, I don't have a job. Like, what am I going to do? Kind of waiting for people to call. Nobody was calling. Um, so then I sort of remembered that I had this email um, that somebody had forwarded me for these different veteran opportunities in fire. And so I started scrolling through that email and I was like, oh yeah, you know, it was just like one of those email chains that just gets forwarded and forwarded and forwarded. Yeah. And so I was just looking at these different opportunities, seeing, you know, what they're all about. And I was like, you know, what? like, let me just go to the top of this email chain to the most important person, you know, that this is originated from. Yeah. Whoever sent it after the text of like four words. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, you know, let me just figure out who that person is, email them explain my situation and tell them I'm willing to go anywhere and do whatever. Yeah. And so that's exactly what I did. And, you know, that ended up being a very important person in the forest service. Um, you know, it was pretty high up there. And so I just sent them an email directly explained who I was, what my intentions were, told them I'd go work on any crew anywhere. Um, and the next day I had a job. No shit. Yeah. So there's that veterans hiring authority, man. Right. And so that, you know, that's a perfect time to that is, is the veteran recruitment appointment, um, VRA. So that's exactly how I got hired. And once I got hired that quickly, that easily, that straightforward, I was like, where has this been? Like, why did I not know this existed? Why did I just spend a year, you know, with the conservation corps, nothing against my experience there, but if I could have just gone directly into a federal job, my career would have been taken off that much faster. Mm-hmm. You know, I could have gone to, you know, those more advanced crews that I sought after, you know, a lot faster. Um, so that was just a really eye opening experience of, you know, here is this, you know, ability to hire veterans that's out there that veterans don't know exist. So with that, I sort of just, I mean, it really just, it was very eye opening, And so I looked back at my experience with the conservation Corps, you know, which I personally had a good one. Um, and I saw the VRA and I was like, well, you know, if veterans just knew that this existed and that they could be hired directly into federal jobs, I mean, you could fill so many jobs if they just had the education to know about the opportunity that was out there. And so, that started getting me thinking of, you know, somebody kind of has to get this information out there. Yeah. Well, to, the, the agencies, they don't do a good job at publicizing this information. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you it's know, not like they promote it or anything. Yeah. When you're getting out of the military, everybody has to go through, um, yeah, I think it used to be called taps and I think it's called TRS now, but it's just this transition readiness seminar or something. Um, Basically, it's like a week-long course where you go, they have somebody instruct it. It's pretty much about USA Jobs and about writing resumes and, and interviewing. And you do all this different stuff. And, you know, it's not really set up well for the person who 
wants to do something outside of a corporate job. Mm -hmm. um, it's really seems like it's tailored very much towards that. And then at the end of it, there's always these like little mini job fairs that they put on. So, yeah, you have, uh, you know, San Diego sheriff's always there. You have, you know, the border patrol. I mean, the national guards there, you know, I saw more people in that class who desired to get out of the military, then get convinced by some recruiter to then go join the national guard <laughs> to go guard. Man. And it's oh like, my God. you know, the only difference there is because they were there. Yeah. Like they showed up. Oh, it was an easy route to, you know, gainful employment. Right. Yeah. And that's all a lot of these people want who are transitioning out of the military is they just want to have that security of knowing of what's next, you know? So really I think all, all really these federal agencies need to do is if they just show up and, you know, present themselves and say, Hey, you know, we're here, we exist, you know, here's an opportunity. All you got to do is be willing to work hard. Then, you know, you have a whole different pool of applicants to choose from. Yeah. But the difference is, is that they're just not there. They're not showing up. And so if you're not showing up, why would you expect people to show up for you? There's that. Yeah. That's the thing though, is like the transition between military or the similarities, rather the similarities between a lot of branches of the military and wildland fire. There's a lot of parallels right there, man. It's, I, I mean, could you expand on that? I mean, I hate drawing those comparisons from the military to wildland fire, but even uh, my buddy Brent Ruby, who's a, he's a researcher out of Montana. He says that, you know, the tactical athletic nature of a wildland firefighter is a perfect analog to someone who's a, in the military, especially your infantry. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, I think it's, I think it's a great parallel. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with drawing those. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a reason why every single year on Camp Pendleton, you know, the BLM sends people out there to train Marines how to be firefighters to, you know, act as like a surge resource. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they did it last year. They do it all the time. Um, because here are people that are physically fit. They maintain a standard, you know, they know how to work hard. They recognize chain of command. Yeah. Chain of command. Um, you know, they know how to work with, uh, different resources. I'm good. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really a, a great transition, you know, especially from those people who are infantry. Um, and so, you know, doing what I do now, I mean, that is by far the largest group that reaches out to me. Um, it's actually probably not even close between, I guess there's any, any one branch that comes to me the most, it's people who are in the Marine Corps and it's Marine Corps infantry. Those that's by far my, my number one person that reaches out to me is, is that that person. So yeah, I mean, I think there's a direct, there's really, there's not a lot of jobs that, you know, somebody who is Marine infantry, um, can get out and do, Yeah, you know, it's, it's not like you're going to get out of infantry and go be a banker. It doesn't even sound exciting. Like after this life of, you know, kicking indoors. Yeah. You know, and it's funny you draw that comparison because, you know, one of the first people I helped when I started veterans in fire, was a guy who was Marine infantry who went to work on wall street. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, he worked on wall street for like 10 years and 
it just wasn't his thing. You know, he sort of just got into the, the motion of life and, you know, next thing he knew he woke up and he was like, okay, like, yeah, I had this job where I made a lot of money, but I am not fulfilled. And he wasn't finding purpose in it. Yeah. So, you know, what he wanted to do was he wanted to go get into the dirt. He wanted to go dig fire line. You know, he wanted to work hard. He wanted to earn his paycheck. He wanted to have that camaraderie. That's the biggest thing is the camaraderie. Yeah. If you're going to draw one, one straight line from the military over to fire, it is the camaraderie of having people work and live together. And, you know, one of the biggest things I think about the military is, you know, while you're doing it, whether it's for four years, five years, eight years, 12 years, whatever it is, it, yeah, it's a job, but it's also your life. Yeah. You know, it's like there's, you're at work, but even when you're not at work, you're still representing something. And so that's the same, same thing with fire is, you know, you're, you might be at work for, you know, a lot of, a lot of your time. And, but you know, when you're off work, who are you spending time with? You know, you're spending time with your crew, Yeah. you know, especially if you're on an assignment or something, you know, it's like, you might be on your off time, you know, but where are you going to go? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's so you're not sort of, going far. Right. So, I mean, and you're, you know, you're living in barracks or bunkhouses, which in the military, you know, you're living in barracks. Yeah. So, you know, in the military, you're traveling, you know, in, you know, these vehicles together or on some boat together or in a helicopter together and in fire, you're traveling in vehicles together and in helicopters together and, you know, sometimes in boats together. So, you know, it's, it's very similar and there's so many parallels to draw from it. It's, you know, I think traditionally, you know, just like myself where I was getting out and I was like, Oh, like, what am I going to do? I'm going to be, you know, a police officer. Like that's, I think for most people getting out of the military, like that's makes sense. Yeah. That's sort of the, the number one job that people do. And, you know, I have tons of friends that got out and did that. And, you know, that's what my best friend does is, is that, you know, and that's great. You know, they're, they're really good at their jobs. It was an awesome transition for them and it just makes sense. But, you know, for everybody like myself and like, you know, all the people that I've helped, like, that's just not, you know, it's not what, what's their calling, I guess, you know, and I never knew that fire would be my calling. You know, I never even thought I would do fire. That was never even on the radar. Um, but once I got into it, I was like, you know what? Like, I like this. I'm good. I'm good here. I like this. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it, it fulfills, you know, that need for camaraderie, you know, it fulfills that, uh, you know, wanting to travel and, and have different experiences. It's hard work. It's prideful work. You know, the, the pay not be the, might not be the best, but you know, it wasn't in the military either. So better not. Um, that yeah. might be changing though, hopefully soon. Yeah. And you know, definitely like all about that stuff, you know, and there's so many good things that are happening, you know, and, and that's awesome. Um, but you know, I think with the military and with, and with fire, you know, obviously we all want to make more money. We all want to have better benefits, you know, and, and, you know, hopefully all that stuff happens and it seems like it is. Grassroots is definitely cooking up a stir. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, definitely the last couple of weeks, you know, it's been fun to watch and, and, you know, fun to be a part of, but you know, if you really strip it down, like that's, you probably didn't join the military to, you know, make a shit ton of money and, 
you probably didn't want to get into wildland fire to make a shit ton of money. You know, there's just, you want to do it out of, you know, the kindness in your heart to, to want to serve others. And, you know, that's, that's the same as the military as well. You know, I don't think anybody joins the military, you know, with necessarily, you know, bad intentions. Um, you know, I sure didn't serve with anybody who had those intentions and, you know, I'd hope that's not why people are joining. And I don't think people, you know, join the, uh, you know, join wildland fire because they are like, Oh, I get to go light the forest on fire. You know, I mean, that's just like a a fringe benefit of the job, I guess you could say. Right. Yeah. So cause it's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You know, but it, it really comes down to, you know, wanting to serve others. And so that's the whole premise on what I started veterans and fire for, um, was, you know, I think that's like the first first line is, is service to others. And that's something that I've really tried to live my life by, um, you know, over the last couple of years is serving others. You know, I always say that there is no greater service than service to others. Um, and so that's actually something that I lost when I got out of the military was I started doing things that were very much based on myself and personal gain. And I really lost that that sense of service. And I think when you lose that, you know, it's really easy to, to fall into this, this realm of of unhappiness because, you know, there's, there's so many greater things out there than doing things for yourself. So one of the first things that I sort of did was I organized this charitable event to, um, walk from Vermont to Maine, um, down this one road, it was 171 miles. Um, that I did in, in three days. The whole plan was to do it in 72 hours. Um, and I did. And so, you know, through doing that, I raised money for this organization called Honor Flight New England that flies uh, World War II veterans, uh, Korea veterans, and, and terminally ill veterans down to Washington, D.C. to visit their memorials. That's badass. Yeah. And I raised something like $6,500, $7,000 or something in 72 hours doing that. That's awesome, um, man. Yeah. And so, you know, that was a pretty gnarly experience. You know, my feet blew up like, you know, footballs, you know, from traveling that amount of distance in that short of time. And, you know, it was definitely not in the shape that I'm in now, um, to be able to do that. But, you know, when you start to do things for reasons other than just personal reasons, you can achieve so much more. And that was the biggest thing was, you know, when I'm like walking, you know, through the white mountains at two o'clock in the morning, you know, up and down these hills, you know, and this is also like October. So like, it wasn't, wasn't warm. I could imagine know? it being pleasant. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't pleasant. I mean, the views are nice, but like, you know, when it got miserable, it was pretty easy to fall back on the fact that I was doing this for other people. And the whole reason for doing it was to serve others. And so when I finished that, you know, that kind of became like this, you know, I got like this following. I felt like Forrest Gump a little bit, you know, <laughs> people were waiting out at the end of their driveways, you know, the news was there, um, you know, and, you know, I think it got over the whole story got over like a million views on, on Facebook. That's dope, um, man. Yeah. But that was really the, my transition back into serving others. And once I sort of did that, I was like, man, like, you know, I was in bed for the next four days after that, but you know, it felt so good to do something again for other people. 
And so then getting into fire, um, you know, having the experiences that I did in fire and starting veterans in fire. That's why I really wanted, you know, it first and foremost be about serving others because here you are having people who are committed to serving others in the military. And that is their, their goal. That is their mission. That's why they signed the dotted line. That's why they took an oath. You know, their oath was, you know, to, you know, protect and, and serve the constitution. And when they're going to get out, a lot of people, it, it's like they're like, just because your service ends, doesn't mean your service to others ha- has to. And I think for a lot of people, that's where they sort of lose track is they start to think, oh, okay, like it's now it's time to like focus on myself. It's time to like go to college and, you know, or do this or do that. And they sort of lose that, that sense of service. Yeah. And you know, I think fire, fire gives that back. Um, and that's a really rewarding thing for people. And I think that's what draws people so much to fire, especially once they get in, you know, they're like, wow, like, you know, this is so similar to what I did in the military, not necessarily, you know, maybe not the job itself, you know, when it gets down to the specifics, but just in the act of the fact that you're doing something that's bigger than yourself, you're doing things that benefits other people more than yourself. And, you know, you're out there suffering, you know, with, you know, 19 other people, you know, on a crew and, you know, you're out there for 14 days at a time, offer two out there for 14 days at a time. Oh yeah. And, you know, that's just like a deployment. That's just like being out in the field, you know, whatever it is, you know, I mean, I know there's a lot of like old school people in fire that call, you know, what we'd probably call a role, you know, a deployment, you know, and I think that's because I think back when, you know, there was not a war going on. That was sort of what a deployment was to a lot of people was going on these like fire deployments. Yeah. And so I think that's why you see sort of like some of the, the older people in fire that still call it that. Well, I know that we uh, derived a lot of our SOPs and our lingo directly from the military. I mean, shit, the, the triple nickels basically started the, uh, they're like the, I guess the grandfathers of the smoke jumping program even. Yeah. So makes a lot of sense. But so now let's break down veterans in fire, your organization, what you do. So how does it work? Like what, what do we do to get more veterans out from that are transitioning out of the military into something that's like you said, a dedication of service to others. Yeah. I mean, so the biggest thing to get more people is, you know, we, as you know, an, an agency, whatever agency that is, you know, you have to put yourself out there. You know, the biggest thing, like, you know, like I kind of said, you know, a few minutes ago is, you know, if you're going to expect somebody to show up, you have to show up. And that's where you come in. Right. Yeah. And so like, that's where I've come in. And so, you know, that's why I get these, you know, some of these text messages that say, you know, you've helped me more in 30 minutes than the VA has in 10 years. Oh, damn. You know, and and you get text messages like that. Um, and you know, that's, that's what keeps me going to continue to do it is stuff like that. Um, but the biggest thing is like, I'm showing up for these people, you know, during this off season, you know, this became my full-time job. You know, I didn't go back to ski patrol like this, you know, this past off season, I was, I was out in Hawaii. That was nice. You know, but the whole time I was out there, you know, I only went in the ocean two times. Yeah. Like I was out there for, you know, close to three months. Didn't you run around the Island too? Well, that was my whole, 
plan was to run around the island. That's what sort of got me out there. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that's the whole thing with like, you know, putting yourself out there, you know, like that's why I went there. That was the intention. Um, but then that's right around the time where veterans fire really started to take off. And, you know, I never expected it to take off the way that it did. You know, I was just expected it to be some Instagram page and, you know, whatever. You'd occasionally help like the one or two people that like hit you up and, you know, you'd guide them through the USA jobs process and you didn't expect it to blow up. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that's where, you know, just kind of like we were saying, you know, having an open mind to like these different experiences. Like, yeah, I'm sure you, know, you go back a couple of years, you probably never thought you'd be hosting a podcast. You no, know? not no. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, so here you are, you know, I never thought that I would be, you know, some, you know, founder or whatever of an organization, you know, that helps, you know, now at this point, hundreds of people. Yeah. Um, and that's crazy. You know, that's so crazy to me. Um, but at the same time, it's really not that crazy because nobody else was doing it. So you, you know, found your niche. Yeah. And, you know, to me, that's actually become more rewarding to me than fire itself is getting people into fire. Um, so, you know, just kind of get back on track of, of what I do. Um, you know, basically really where it all started was, you know, so the whole, we're actually right now, like I just kind of hit like the one year anniversary of it is sort of this month. Um, you know, there's really no specific day unless I just go off like the first Instagram post or something. Yeah. Um, you know, or when I announced that I had like won the smoky generation award, which is really, that's kind of like where it started. So shout out to Bethany, by the way, dude, she's rad. Yeah. She's awesome. She's helped me so much. I mean, I've had plenty of phone calls with her where I'm just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) You know, like that's, I, I called her multiple times this off season. I'm just like, yeah, like I'm like, I'm like, I'm on the phone 16 hours a day. Like, yeah. What do I do? You know, like how, how do I keep doing this? How do I take this to the next level? Um, and she's been, she's been so awesome. Just she's a wealth of knowledge, man. And she's a wealth of like assistance to the fire community. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, yeah. And that, that, so I guess I'll, I'll start there. Um, with the whole veterans and fire thing was, you know, I was, I sort of applied, you know, for, you know, that grant to win that grant. And I just sort of, you know, typed up this, you know, application or, or whatever, and sort of explained, you know, that what I wanted to do was, you know, have this Instagram page called veterans and fire and just tell the stories of the veterans that are in fire, because, you know, for me to get into fire was just a very confusing process. Like we sort of covered, you know, just from, you know, starting with the conservation Corps and then USA jobs not working out. Then me emailing some super important person, you know, through some random email chain and getting hired through VRA the next day. And just like, it was just like such a weird way to get to where I am now. And so it wasn't super direct. It didn't, you know, it was sort of a years long process to where it really all started to make sense. And so you know, I was like, I know there's plenty of veterans that do this job. Like, let me sort of go around, interview people, have them tell their story. Then other people can see that. And through reading other people's stories, they can be like, oh, I could go this direction. I could go the apprentice direction. You know, I could, you know, go on, do a shock crew. I could go through the conservation corps, like whatever it is. There's yeah. all, all, there's all these different routes. And, you know, so many people took different routes to get to where they are. So I just thought that would be a really good experience for people to, I guess, learn 
what other people did. And there was really no good resource out there for this. So I was like, you know, I'll just, I'll just be that resource. Um, and then, so that's what I did. And then, you know, obviously last year's season got pretty insane. Yeah, um, I did. You know, I think, you know, my crew, we spent, you know, 100, 120 days or something on the road. Um, so it kind of took a, a backseat to, you know, just doing my job in fire, you know, which naturally during the fire season, like it's kind of hard to prioritize anything other than fire. Yeah. Um, well, you I'll, don't have a choice, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's a seasonal job, but you're so concentrated in that six to eight months out of the year that you have no time for anything else. <clears throat> yeah, totally. And, and, I, and I try to tell people that, you know, we're hitting them up now. So if you are somebody who, who hits me up now or after this, um, you know, if I don't get back to you, like I will at some point and you know, it's just, you just get busy, um, you know, going roll from roll from roll. But you know, if, if, if I don't get back to you, just keep hitting me up until I, I do get back to you. Cause I will eventually at some point. Yeah. Eventually it's hard to um, keep up, man. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But, um, yeah. So I guess after, um, yeah. So after last season, you know, I, I wasn't really sure what the direction I wanted to take veterans and fire, but I knew it, it had traction. Like there was enough interest, you know, I mean, gained over, you know, 2,500 followers in its first year. Like that's pretty good. It's pretty impressive. Man. Um, so yeah, I sort of just knew there was something there. There was enough people hitting me up to where I was like, you know, there's, there's something here. Um, and so really what started, I guess the blow up of it was, you know, I had one, one person hit me up who's really turned into one of my best friends now. And he was like, Hey dude, you know, I've, I see all this work you're doing with veterans and fire. You know, I, I've been following you for a while on Instagram. Like, the job looks really awesome. Like I would love to to do something like that. So he's like, can you help me sort of get into fire? Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, dude, like, sure. You know, let me reach out to some people. And I reached out to the person who initially got me hired and then they connected me with somebody else. And so, you know, the, what a lot of people don't know is that the forest service actually has a veteran hiring program. Um, it's called lead forward, um, lead forward veterans hiring program. And you know what they do, um, they're out of region one is a veteran contacts them, um, you know, at some point during the off season and they use veteran recruitment appointment to fill open positions throughout region one. And, you know, that's a super awesome program. Um, you know, that's, you know, one of the more notable people who's gone through that is David Goggins. Mm -hmm. That's how he got into fire was through the lead forward program. Um, so, you know, but the issue is, is if you didn't know it existed, you wouldn't know it existed. Yeah. So like we were saying, man, it's not like it's like promoted. It's hardly, it's like a, it's like a hidden program. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I worked with, you know, directly with, you know, the individuals who started that and, you know, through working with them, I was able to get, you know, this one person a job. And, you know, in region one, and then they, once I started building that, that connection, you know, the people lead forward, were like, Hey, you know, if you, if you've got more veterans, like we've got spots that we can fill. So, you know, then cue the outreaches on social media. I started just putting them out there. Hey, you know, are you, are you a veteran who wants to do fire? Like I can help you out. Just, you know, give me a call. So started just fielding phone call and phone call and phone call. And as I would get phone calls and you know, I would sort of not interview these people, but just, 
be a person that they could talk to about fire and ask questions like, you know, I'm not anything special. I'm a GS4, you know, I'm a GS4 seasonal employee. And, you know, so it's honestly like, that's a really good position for me to be in because I can talk to these people and they have no, um, you know, they don't, they don't feel like I'm some, somebody that's like super important, which is good because they can just connect with me on a personal level. Yeah. You know, I tell You're them, just a dude that's, yeah, I'm just a dude on the phone. Yeah. And that's, you know, the one thing I tell everybody is just consider me your friend in fire. You know, I'm nothing more than that. I'm just going to be your friend in fire who helps guide you through the process. Yeah. You kind of fell into like a liaison, uh, I guess, role. Right. Yeah. So, you know, really the biggest thing was kind of just like word of mouth of where like, you know, I helped one person and they would tell like, oh, you know, I've got like three buddies that like, you know, are also interested. Like, could I give them your number? I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah. And so, you know, that just kind of led to things taking off. Um, and then from there, you know, I think I really just sort of took on a bulk of the, uh, I guess not the work for lean forward. I mean, they did all the work with getting people hired. I was just, like you said, kind of a liaison, um, for them where I would talk to the individuals. I'd have about an hour long phone call with every single person. I would get their resume, their DD-214. I'd look both those things over, make sure they were good. Yeah. And as long as those were good, then I would then forward those to the people over at Lead Forward and they would get them plugged in with jobs. And so that went on for, you know, probably like two strong months where it was like, I mean, it seemed like resume after resume. Oh yeah. I mean, it seemed like every single day, um, you know, there were multiple people getting hired, you know, like I said, I mean, there were literally days where I was on the phone for 16 hours a day. Like, you know, I was in Hawaii, so like it wasn't a bad place to be on the phone all day, standing out on my, you know, Lanai overlooking the ocean, but sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I definitely went out there with the intentions of, you know, circumnavigating the island on foot. I went out there with the intentions of, you know, doing a lot of surfing and, you know, snorkeling and, you know, all that typical stuff. But, um, you know, it didn't work out that way, which, which is fine because, you know, I am where I am now with veterans and fire because of all those, you know, just countless hours of, you know, putting in the work. And so, you know, I'd be up at three 30 in the morning to the first phone calls, you know, coming in from the East, East coast, coast because, yep. you know, the time change. Um, and that was fine. Like I loved it. I was having so much fun with it. Just talking to all these different people here and all these different stories. Like, you know, I have a story that's pretty interesting, but I mean, the stories that I've gotten to hear are just incredible. Um, and the people from just all different walks of life that I've been able to help has been incredible too. Um, so yeah, basically what happened was pretty much filled every position that we could fill in region one to the point where, you know, the people over at lead forward were just like, yeah, there's no like, more room. Yeah. There's no more room to plug people in. And I was like, well, you know, like I need more than like, I need, I need contacts. Like I need people that I can talk to. Which is cool um, because there's a ton of veteran crews out there, veteran specific crews out there. I know you got, I think, I believe Lakeview is one of them. You got Folsom. Yeah. Folsom veterans crew and the slew of other ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. There's all kinds of crews up there. You know, the Billings has got a crew. Aravipe has got a crew down in Arizona. Um, uh, Ventana hotshot crew, you know, they're primarily a veteran crew. Um, Vegas Valley. Vegas Valley. Yeah. They're awesome. Love Shout them. out to my boys in Vegas. Yeah. No, I love the people down there. I actually went hand delivered them a care package on my way out to Idaho this year. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was super cool to just kind of get face to face with those guys. Um, 
but yeah, so, you know, after I sort of like reached the limit of region one, yeah, I started getting connected with, uh, some crews up in Oregon, um, you know, filled a bunch of spots there. Um, you know, one, you know, I, I won't name names, but one of the most eye-opening experiences that I had was there was a crew, um, up in Oregon, I believe that it's, you know, supposed to be a veteran crew, like 20 people, they lost funding. They'd already sort of told 20 people that they were going to have jobs and they no longer had spots for 20 people then oh, spots shit. for 10 people. And so here I am, you know, just from GS4 and I'm having some soup call me like, Hey, like, you know, this is super embarrassing, but you know, I've got 10 people who I told had jobs who no longer have jobs. That's not good. And yeah. And, but by the end of that day, 10 people had jobs elsewhere. No shit. Yeah. So they were all good. They're all good. Every single one of them got a job. Good. So, you know, that was the first, one of the first experiences where I was like, damn, like, you know, I've got like some impact here. Like this is working. Um, so yeah, from there, then, you know, it just sort of seemed like it went from region one more West and then sort of worked its way down to California started, you know, having some contacts with different FMOs around California. And really that's been the best, best route is that I speak directly with the FMOs of the forest. Um, and they sort of appoint me some contact on their forest and they give me a list of jobs that they have open that they need to fill. Mm -hmm. And then I get the information, um, you know, where's it located? Do they have housing? Which type of crew is it? Um, and then as long as I get that information, I can then create these Instagram posts, Facebook posts, you know, LinkedIn posts, Reddit posts, whatever, you know, I've done it all. The social media game will drown you, man. Oh yeah. It's crazy. Um, so you know, I get that information, I put it out there and then I have people, you know, hit me up and inquire about it, talk to them on the phone. Um, and then I forward their information off directly to that point of contact or the FMO, like whoever it is whoever that contact is, whoever they decide they want it to be, whether it's themselves or, you know, somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I would say vast majority of the time, you know, those people get jobs, you know, does it work out for everybody? Like, no. Um, but you know, I think since February was when I probably got my first person hired was in around February timeframe. And from February to now, um, we're over 150 people. No shit. Yeah. Damn. So definitely like I served over, over 200 veterans. Um, you know, cause sometimes people hit me up and like, Oh, you know, not this year, you know, but maybe next year or, Oh, you know, I had a, I'm going to go structure instead. I got this opportunity, that opportunity, whatever. Um, but yeah, definitely over 150 like confirmed people who, you know, are working for the forest service or, you know, Bureau of Land Management on fire crews this year. That's a hell of an accomplishment, man. And that's that thing. You're still paying it forward from your experience in the military through fire. And now you're still in fire, but you're yeah. also paying it forward and getting these other people, their foot in the door. It's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. It's been just so rewarding. Um, you know, cause I mean, I don't know if there's anything more rewarding than providing somebody the opportunity to continue to serve others, you know, and that's really what all these people want is, is an opportunity. Yeah. And so to sort of be that person that can facilitate that is a very empowering experience and a very inspiring experience, you know? Um, 
And so, you know, and what I've done, you know, with the vast majority of people, um, or at least I've tried to is pretty much anybody who I get hired or really anybody who reaches out, you know, I've sent them stickers and like a handwritten letter. Um, and so one really cool story from that is, you know, there's one individual, um, from the East coast who got a job in fire who's working up in Montana now. Um, but his father actually like passed away throughout, throughout the time frame that, that we were talking, but you know, I wrote him this really nice handwritten letter, you know, sent him this letter and these stickers, you know, just congratulating him on getting a job. And, you know, he, he went back to his house or whatever to kind of like pack up the rest of the things. And as he was there and he sent me this whole text about it, but as he was there, the mail, mail, mailman, wherever, like pulled up and, you know, handed him this letter. And so he was like, you know, on his way, like, I think to the funeral, he said, and you got that letter. Um, and he just like, I think he told me, you know, how like he's going to always keep that letter and like, it was just like so important to him and so impactful. Um, and so like just doing a small thing like that, you know, it's like doing small things for people, you know, it it really matters and you don't know who you're going to impact. Like you don't know at what point that person's going to call you, um, you know, looking for an opportunity or when they're going to get that letter or, you know, when you're just going to be, be there for somebody, like you just don't know like what that person's going through. So I think just like keeping that in mind that, you know, as, as long as you are sort of going through life with good intentions and, you know, serving others and just doing the right thing, like, you know, you va- like you might save somebody's life just by being a friend to them, you oh, know, yeah. some person that you just don't even know. So, I mean, that's been one of the most eye-opening experiences is, you know, these people who, you know, I could go on and on of, of these stories, um, you know, and so like one of the other ones is, you know, there was this individual who he was building shower stalls um, up in Oregon. And, you know, when he first reached out to me, you know, he was like, oh yeah, you know, like, I don't know if I'll make enough money in fire, you know, to really do it, but like, I really want to do it. And, you know, so of course, you know, that's the money thing again, you know, that's keeping a lot of people out of the job. Um, but you know, I had probably a four hour conversation with just this one person on the phone. And I was like, you know what, man, like you reached out to me for a reason. Like you didn't reach out to me because, you know, you're necessarily happy with where you're at. Like you want some different opportunity or else you wouldn't have taken the time to find my phone number to, you know, have a conversation with me. And, you know, so I was like, you know, if if you want to do fire, like give it a shot, like see what you think. If you don't like it after a year, like I'm I'm not like you can't move on. Yeah. Like I'm sure that job will still be there for you or like some other opportunity. And so, you know, that, that dude's working on, um, you know, one of the vet crews out of Oregon that hires a lot of veterans. Um, and, he loves it. Like he sent me a, uh, a picture the other day with, you know, I think him and his, uh, him and somebody else on the crew, you know, like standing on some fire together just and hero shit shot. Yeah. Like yeah. Just, I love but, that stuff. But man. like just loving it, you know? And like, I was just like, you know, I was so happy for him, you know, just to see that. And I love that. You know, I love when people tag the page, um, you know, and post or, you know, hopefully soon I'm going to get back to like just sharing people's stories because now there's so many people that have helped get into fire who all have these unique stories. Um, but it's just so powerful to see that, you know, just what somebody 
you know, like that individual, like they took a risk, you know, they weren't sure if they were going to be able to, you know, pay their bills or, you know, live the lifestyle, but you know, now they're doing it. And, you know, I think they're going to go on to have a very successful career, you know, in this job. And, you know, that all it takes is just, you know, a lot of times somebody just being there. Yeah. So, you know, but that's again, like that's showing up, you know, like I had to show up for that person, you know, I invested a lot of time into that person, you know, and, you know, does the, you know, the forest service or the different agencies have the capability to spend that amount of time investing into one person, you know, I don't know, but maybe there's somebody out there who's been doing this for over a year now who does, who could get paid to be doing this. So, you know, <laughs> you know, not, not pointing fingers or anything, but like, you know, well, that brings up a larger point though, as far as like recruitment and retention. Um, I mean, not only the pay is it's, it needs some work, obviously that's being worked on behind the scenes by, you know, grassroots and a couple other organizations like NIFI, uh, the union, the forest service union. But I, I just wish that if you take an example for like Cal fire, their PR game is on point, man. They take every opportunity to promote, recruit, tell the story of their organization and I'm just trying to wrap my head around why the DOI and the UF, U.S. Forest Service, so the Department of the Interior, all the agencies under that umbrella, and then the yeah. U.S. Forest Service, why don't they take those opportunities, man? They're out there, and people like you are doing it. Why aren't they? <laughs> why aren't they promoting this? Yeah, you know, and and that's like it blows one of, my mind. You know, that's one of the crazy things is you know, and I kind of hope like. You know, I would love to have like some role like that in the future. Um, you know, I mean, cause I've had people from colleges all over the country that are like, Hey, we have this like veteran group, you know, or club or whatever at this college, you know, and all these people are like interested in, in fire. They're doing these like fire science, you know, degrees or like whatever. And you know, the, like I've had people literally ask me like, Hey, can you come speak at my college? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, like I'd love to, you know, but, but it's fire season. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, it's, it's fire season or whatever, but it's like, you know, just that, you know, it's like you could go, you know, I could, if I had like some budget to work with, you know, I could set up, you know, dozens of colleges, dozens of military bases. And, you know, if I'm, if I was able to, you know, recruit over 150 people into this job in a matter of, you know, four to six months through an Instagram page, like what would I be able to do, you know, in an entire year with some sort of budget and an actual plan and material and support from the organizations in which I'm serving. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you know, it, it sucks that, you know, that I'm out here like, like doing this, you know, and not getting paid to do it. But at the same time, like, you know, I don't really care. Like I'm going to continue to do it. Regardless, regardless, because yeah. it matters. It matters to me. It matters to the individuals that, it, you know, it's serving and it matters to the agency, you know, who's getting, you know, good individuals that want to be there. Um, you know, I, I couldn't even put a number on the amount of money that I've spent, you know, of my own personal money. Oh, on I this. feel you, man. But yeah, you know, I'm sure you, you know, you know what it's all about, you know, kind of starting something, you starting know, starting a business is hard, man. 
Yeah, it's extremely hard. You know, I know we've had conversations in the past, you know, sort of over the last year, you know, where I've been like, dude, like, what do I do? Like, what, do I, like, you know, this is, this is crazy. You know, I have no idea. I'm so over my head. Um, but you know, we're figuring it out and you know, you're going to continue to do what you're doing. I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing. And you know, who knows where, where it goes, but you know, I mean, I'm not going to definitely not going to stop doing it regardless of any support that I do get or don't get. Yeah. And I'm in the same boat too. And, and not the same lane necessarily, but a kind of similar realm is, uh, all the jobs that I post for recruitment, man, Yeah, it's all word of mouth. It's like, Hey man, can you post this for us? We're dying on numbers right now. We are not meeting our hiring thresholds right now. And someone like you who specializes in veterans with the veterans, uh, recruitment authority, it's that no right? appointment, veteran appointment, recruitment appointment, sorry. Yeah. And that you, it, it's, re, it's a really good pathway for veterans to get into the government because you're, you're favored. You have, you know, a point scale, you have your, uh, veterans preference. It's, it's like a no brainer, man. Like why, why aren't agencies, if we're sucking on recruitment and retention, why aren't they taking these opportunities like your organization? And it's it just blows my mind, man. Yeah, it is. It, it's crazy. You know, I mean, it's, like veteran recruitment, you know, I guess like we, I don't know if we really explained it or not in depth, but you know, essentially what veteran recruitment appointment is, is it's a federal appointment that pretty much summed up allows veterans with a resume and a DD-214 with either an honorable discharge or a general under honorable conditions it allows them to completely bypass the USA jobs process and get hired directly into a federal job. Yeah. And so it's a direct hiring authority. So basically what that means, and that's not, it actually doesn't exist just in fire. Like it exists across the entire federal government. Yeah. So pretty much any veteran who knows the right person, you know, and there's an open job can just be like, Hey, like, here's my resume. Here's you know, I'm qualified to do this job. Like, you know, here's my DD-214 that shows that I, you know, honorably served my country and they can just be directly hired into that job. And, you know, th does that kind of like suck for, you know, the people who don't have that opportunity? Like, yeah, you know, I mean, I know like when I first got into fire, you know, I, I worked when I was with the Conservation Corps, you know, all sorts of different places. And, you know, I remember we went and worked on one of our roles with this individual who like had very strong opinions about veterans, um, you know, in fire and like the advantages that they get. And, you know, I understand that argument, like, you know, that sucks that there's, you know, a group of people that get more of an advantage than other people. But at the same time too, you know, you're having a person who's, you know, 22, 24, 30 years old, you know, who has to completely start over. You know, so if you were somebody who got into fire at 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, you could be, you know, 22 and be on a hotshot crew. Yeah. You know, so like you've sort of had that foundation that you could start from in fire to continue to, you know, prosper in your fire career. But somebody who, you know, went and served, like they had these valuable experiences and they know how to work hard. Um, you know, and that's just the way it is. Like, yeah, like they, you know, there's an advantage to it, but at the same time, like, how much is that advantage really being taken advantage of, you know, obviously not very much, you know, or else, 
you know, I'd probably be out of business if, you know, it was just that, that easy. Like it's still not that easy. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, we still get an interview for it. It's not like they just, oh, you're hired. Yeah. You know, I mean, you still have to be a a good qualified candidate. Um, and if you're a skater, they're not going to pick you up. Yeah, totally. And you know, I'm not saying that like, you know, out of every single person that I've, you know, helped get a job that they're all like the best person in the world. Like, you know, I would hope that they are, you know, I try to do my due diligence with each individual. Um, and you know, if they're not somebody who shows, you know, work ethic or, you know, a serious commitment, then, you know, I'm like, you know, maybe you should look some somewhere else, you know, and that sucks. Like, you know, having to tell people no, but like, that's just the way it is sometimes. Well, it's not for everybody. It takes a certain individual to do this. Right. Yeah. And, and it's one thing, you know, like, oh yeah, like I'm interested in fire. You know, the biggest thing is, is like, there's a lot of people that like that hit me up and they don't even know that wildland fire is wildland fire. You know, it's like, they, they think this is, you know, red truck and, you know, driving around the city. And I'm like, no, nah, like you're going to be gone for 14 days at a time away from your family, working for six months straight, you know, 224 hours in a two week period. Like, you know, you're going to get crushed. Yeah. And once you start explaining the harsh realities of the nature of the beast, I mean, it probably turns a lot of people off. Yeah. You know, there's definitely some people who are like, ah, oh, you know, like I, I got this other gig actually. <laughs> nah, dog, I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, Hey man, that's cool. You know, like no, no harm, no foul. Like I'm glad that we were able to have a conversation. Yeah. You know, and I'll field conversations with anybody, you know, I'm really just trying to be somebody who's out there just, you know, educating that specific group of people, um, you know, and helping them out if they, if they want, want help you know, and they don't want help, then well, that's fine too. Hey man, it's not for everybody. Like you're saying, and they want to help. They got to take the opportunity to reach out to your organization. So veterans and fire and, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and and if they do reach out and, you know, it's like I said, obviously it is fire season and you know, I am, I am employed. So, you know, this is the rough part. (laughs) Yeah. You know, unfortunately like the whole veterans and fire thing is not my full-time job. Um, you know, it's really not even a job because I think in order for it to be a job, you have to get paid. Um, you know, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, yeah, it's hard to manage both. It's one of those things where, you know, I try to keep my actual job and veterans and fire separate just because you you kind of have to, yeah, I can't, you know, I can't be like, you know, out answering my phone. Like, Oh yeah, I just, hold up, you know, let me just step off the line real quick, you know, and take this phone call. Like, you know, that's not gonna, that's not gonna fly too well. So yeah, I mean, if I, if somebody reaches out, you know, and I don't get back to you in a timely manner, you know, Hey, hit me back up, you know, do your own work, your own research. You know, if, if you really want, like you can find my number somewhere, you know, my number's out there, my email's out there. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of ways, um, to get my attention if that person wants it, you know? And cause that's like, you know, honestly, there's a lot of people who like send me a message. Like I'll post these, these opportunities and I'm like, Hey, you know, message me if you're interested and people message me and they say interested. Yeah. And you gotta be a self-starter, man. If you got the (laughs) attitude like that, where I'm going to do all the work for you, you're not going to be a good fit for the fire service period. Yeah. And I'm like, like a lot of those times, like I'll just like respond with like a question mark, like, you know, or sometimes I don't even respond like, okay, well, like, what are you interested in? Like, how interested are you? Yeah. You know, like you need to like, and that uh, honestly, like, that's been one of those things where like, you know, when I, when I first started this, like 
I was, I was having like super long conversations with every single person and everything was, was super, super individualized. And, you know, I could really, um, you know, work diligently with each individual person to do what was going to best suit them. Um, you know, as things have you know started to take off, like it's still, it's still just me doing everything. So that's become harder and harder. So, you know, when I have these people, you know, who are like, Hey, you know, I want to, you know, only work in SoCal, which, you know, that's a very large group of people that hit me up. That's just, you know, there's a huge population of veterans there. Yeah. Um, well, it's also your, you know, highest concentration of population as well. It's going to be hard to compete. Yeah. So, you know, that's, and, and you know, that's one of those things where it's like, all right, cool. Like, that's great. You know, I'll do my best. Like I will send, you know, your information to, you know, people in SoCal, mm -hmm. but like I tell people like, Hey, you know, it's, you might want to look other places, you know, just like everybody else who applies for jobs in fire. Like, you know, if you have to work in nowhere, Oregon or Wyoming or something for a season, like, well, that's just what you have to do. Like you have yeah. to be willing to take that job. Like that first job's probably not going to be the best job. Probably not. But you know, if, if you go and you work one season, you know, in some not ideal place, the windows of opportunity that open up for you the following seasons are, are unreal. You know, I mean, I know just like me applying for jobs going to this year, you know, I applied every place that I applied, I got a call from, you know, so that's just like, you got to put your time in whether, you know, you start off as, you know, a VRA applicant or you start off just through the USA jobs process. Like it doesn't really matter where you start, but you got to be willing to just accept the job that you can get, you know, and if some other opportunity, you know, a big thing that I see is, you know, people will accept these, these opportunities that I post. And then, you know, two weeks later, some other FMO will hit me up and be like, Hey, you know, I've got this other opportunity. And those other people are like, Oh, Hey, like I already accepted this one job, you know, like, but this opportunity would be, would be cool too. Can I throw my name in for that? Like you can, but just know, you know, if you go withdraw from that other crew that you've already, you know, committed to, you know, that might not putting them in the bad spot, man. Cause now they're down a person. Right. You know, and then it's like, well now I try to like find, you know, either somebody to fill that spot or now that crew's, you know, one person short. And, you know, if you made that commitment, well, you know, you sort of have, I mean, you have an obligation to sort of fulfill that commitment, you know? I mean, not that you can't say no, or you can't withdraw them. You can quit anytime you want, but yeah. you know, if you, if you're committed, you know, to your crew and, you know, you do a good job for them, you know, nine times out of 10, you know, they're going to have your back moving forward. You know I mean? You don't need to accept one job, but then like never leave that job. You know, I've yeah. gone, I've gone to a new career every single year. Well, that's yeah. the thing about fireman is there's, there's a wide world of opportunity out there and it's just up to you to, you know, find those jobs one and two, make the commitment to try something new or in a new duty location, man, sitting there and stagnating in one particular duty station, man, you're just, you're, it's going to be a hard time. It's going to be a long time before you move up, especially. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, man. These, these programs are out there and you've got the inside knowledge. And since we're coming to the end of the show here, where can we find you, man? Yeah. So, um, you know, you can find me at veterans and fire on Instagram. That's definitely the, um, you know, the main place where I operate um, at veterans and fire on Instagram, you know, it's also on Facebook and LinkedIn and, you know, pretty much all the social medias. 
But yeah, definitely the easiest way is just through the Instagram and messaging me there. Um, and you know, if, if you go ahead and do that and you want, you want my number and you want to have a phone conversation, you know, we can cross that bridge when we get there. I'm not going to publicly put my phone number out there cause it's just my personal number. Um, but I'm willing to have a conversation with anybody, anytime, whoever wants to help. Um, so yeah, definitely just at veterans and fire on Instagram. That's the primary place where I do all the outreaches and have all the conversations with people there. Um, so also the email is, uh, if you don't have Instagram, it's veterans and fire at Gmail. Um, so some people just come through there as well, but yeah, one of those two places. Um, and if you want to have, you know, a more in depth conversation, you know, we can set up a phone call. We can just message back and forth, whatever it is. You know, if you are to reach out and you know, you don't get a response back from me, uh, you know, wait a few days, hit me back up, could be on assignment, might be out of service. Um, and then, yeah, definitely, you know, one thing to note, like, yeah, you know, it's, it's July. So, you know, if you're hitting me up, you know, after this episode and you know, you want, you want a job on some hotshot crew in Southern California. Yeah. Well, so does everybody else. So you have to wait till next season. Yeah. Your best bet is going to be wait, wait till next season. Um, you know, if you're somebody who's getting out in, you know, the military in 2023, 2024, because I've had a surprising amount of people hit me up from, you know, that are that far out, you know, Hey, go ahead and hit me up, you know, get your name in my, in my head. Um, but just know that there's really not much that I can do for you until you have a DD-214 in hand. But if you're somebody who's ready to go to work and you've got a DD-214 and a resume, um, you know, shoot me a message and, you know, we'll see what we can do. You know, I know there's places that are still hurting, so there might be some spots that can still get filled, but you know, as every day that passes goes on, um, you know, it's going to be closer and closer to, you know, working on stuff for next year. So yeah, at veterans and fire on Instagram, hit me up and you know, we'll chat there. Oh yeah, man. Well, at the end of the show, I always, uh, give the, ex- extend the opportunity for you to give a shout out to a homie, a hero mentor. What do you got for us? Um, yeah. So, you know, definitely a shout out to, uh, you know, I'll just use first names here. They'll know who they are, but you know, Greg who helped me get my first job, Dan, you know, who's been an integral part of this whole thing, uh, Dan and Ed, um, you know, the first person I got hired, Colton, shout out to you, man. You know, I know it's your first season and all those other people out there, it was their first season who I helped, you know, shout out to all of you, um, who, who are out there, you know, some of you have gone on fires already. Some of you haven't, but your time will come. You'll get out there, you know, you'll have late nights on the line and you know, it'll all be worth it soon. Um, so, you know, just hang in there and, you know, keep a positive attitude and, you know, enjoy the fact that you were back to serving others because that's what this job's all about. And you know, that's what life is really all about is serving others. Oh yeah, man. Well, Blake, thank you for what you do, man. And yeah, keep helping these people out there and keep helping them getting their, uh, their job there. It's pretty awesome what you do. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Oh yeah, man. Thanks for being on the show, brother. Of course, man. <laughs> Later guys.
And boom, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is in the books with my good buddy, Blake Toth from Veterans in Fire. If you guys uh, uh, have a DD214 and a resume, like you said, definitely swing by his Instagram page and hit him up because he's got uh, a lot of connections. He's networked extensively in the fire community to uh, connect veterans with fire programs. So if you guys are looking for a new career once you get out of the military, well, check out Veterans in Fire. Blake, once again, thank you for uh, being on the show, man. I definitely appreciate what you're doing. And uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. You know, I'd love to have you back on the show once we get back closer to hiring season. So once again, man, thanks. Special shout out to our sponsors. We've got Mystery Ranch. They make the finest damn packs for fire. But not only that, they make all of your load-bearing solutions. Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. We've got Hotshot Brewery, purveyors of the finest damn coffee in the fire game, and it's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. So go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and check them out. We've got the ass movement. If you've got a problem pooper on your crew, well, might uh, want to direct them over to the firewild.com and check out the ass movement to educate him or her on proper poo-bearing etiquette. And last but not least, we have got the Smoky Generation. And actually, on this episode, well, Blake was a recipient of one of those Smoky Generation grants. So, Bethany, thank you very much for your organization and, uh, yeah, supporting good causes like this. You got a kick-ass organization. If you guys want to find out more, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and check it out. For the rest of you, you guys all know the game. Happy 4th of July. Stay safe. Stay savage. Peace.